Good morning, Bay. Good morning. I was really weak. Mobile, welcome. I know you guys, all, all of you, Mobile and Malvis, this service, you've had more time to wake up and more coffee to drink, so you should be energized. I look forward to this service. I will tell you it's my favorite, but then you'll go tell those other people that I said that, and I say that in every service, so anyway. Anyway, I hope you had a great week. We've had a great week. My wife and I, we have a, a new grandson this week, born Thursday. Yeah. Our daughter, Melanie, and her husband, Tommy, had a little boy born Thursday, and uh, yeah, there he is. And uh, that's his big brother, and so we're really excited. In fact, they, uh, they named him Taylor, and so just like we needed another Taylor, but uh, anyway, we're excited. They're coming home today, and everybody's doing well, and uh, if you want to check out more about Taylor or Tristan, go to Facebook. They're all over the place, but... Well, listen, we're in the uh, seventh part of a series called Giant Killers, and if you want to open to your device or your Bible, you can go to Deuteronomy 3 and to Joshua 9, and those two I want you to look at. The rest will be on the screen so you don't have to track with me. Here's what we're doing. We have been in this series, and we're looking at seven tribes of people that God identified, and these people are already occupied the promised land. And so we've been looking at this because these people, not all of them are giants, but they represent a giant spirit. And so all of them have a type and have a personality, a behavior, a mode of operation, and they're all examples or types of spirits that still exist today. And so if you've missed any of this, you can go online and catch up and watch up and, and we'll be there. So I want to start with our, just kind of our platform where we've been in Deuteronomy 7. Then we'll, we'll go over to Deuteronomy 3 in just a minute. Uh, verse 1, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them, utterly destroy them. Now, I haven't made a lot of reference to this last line, but that's what I'm going to do in this message today. This last line, you shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. Uh, we're going to look at two giants this weekend, two people groups, two tribes. First are the parasites, not parasites, but parasites. And this giant uh, in our culture is everywhere, and it's very dangerous. Uh, the word actually means no walls, no boundaries. No walls, no boundaries. The picture of this word would be an unwalled village, and you'll see why in just a minute. And God said, we must drive out the parasites. We have to drive out all these people there in, your, in this promised land that's yours, and uh, they're there illegally, but we're going to drive them out. Caleb even referred early on to this group of people, and he says, and I'm paraphrasing, don't you know that this village... Uh, has no walls. And, and, and he said, because of the king, his name is Og, and he is a giant. He's the granddaddy of the giants. And because of his size, no one would, uh, would oppose them. And so they needed no walls. Typically in that culture, in that time, you had to have water, you had to have walls, or you didn't exist. So most towns, cities, villages had water, and then they wall up for protection. Not, not the parasites. Uh, they they def the defeat of the parasites actually takes place before they cross the Jordan River. So this is when Moses is alive. He's leading this. They don't occupy the land until they get into Joshua's, Joshua's rule and when they cross into the promised land. 
But here, I want you to see how they're defeated. So if you go back to Deuteronomy 3, verse 1, here's what you see. And then we turned and went up the road to Bashan. And Og, king of Bashan, came out against us. He and all his people to battle at Etreel. Verse 2, and the Lord said to me, talking to Moses, do not fear him, for I have delivered him and all his people and his land into your hand. Now, here's the thing about Og. He, in, in South Alabama, we'd say he's big as a mountain. In the eyes of the Israelites, he was too. Uh, his bed measured over 13 and a half feet long. So you, you get the idea. He's huge. He lived separate from his people. He lived in a town called Bashan. It's an unwalled village. In fact, Bashan is still there today. I've been there. So the, the Parasites controlled 60 cities in this region besides all the unwalled villages that they also resided over. No one really knew how to defeat this giant because he was seldom opposed. So God reveals to Moses the weakness of Og. And he, here's what God implies and imparts to Moses. He's overconfident in his ability. He is a warrior. He's a soldier. He's large. But he's become vulnerable because he's, so, he's used to the opposing enemy just running because of his size that he seldom had to fight a real fight. And so Og is out of practice. He's out of practice of being in a real battle because usually all he had to do was intimidate. So Og is the master of intimidation. Today we'd call him a bully. So he, he's a bully. Moses discovered that, hey, to defeat this bully, Og, the Israelites, here's what we have to do, guys. Now remember, this is before the promised land. This is getting ready. They're going to take the land, but they're going to take the people out first. So here's what they do. He tells his men, he tells his soldiers, listen, do not be fearful but go in and fight. Don't look at his size. Just go in and fight for our rights and our land and what we're doing. Well, Og, the battle of Og was over very soon. All the cities fell within weeks. It's one of the swiftest victories in the history of Israel. And here's why. Because amazing things happen when you take a stand. These people took a stand against intimidation, against this master giant they took a stand the parasite spirit today tries to influence you by having no walls and no boundaries so when the bible says thou shalt not or thus saith the lord that means nothing to them when this spirit comes to church and they they hear the word of god they hear it through a filter and they're always trying to pull you on you or get you to compromise something that you shouldn't compromise as a believer of god why because they have their own gospel this spirit has its own gospel, and, and they will tell you we have freedom. But if you say, well, well, the word says differently, or if they hear the word, here's what they say about the word. Well, that's the old way of thinking. That's old school. That, that, that's, that's not a new day or a new age. Now, if you know anything about the word of God, you know immediately the word does lay down boundaries, walls, and perimeters. Why does God do that? Does he do that because he's a fuddy-dud, doesn't want us to have fun? No. He does it for the same reason we put fences around playgrounds to protect the children so they're not hurt. The parasite spirit will always be around to bleed into your life, and, 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 and here's why. So it will pull you in a different direction. God even said in, in the New Testament, Scripture says that this spirit, that, and this is a prophecy, this spirit will come in the last days, and here's what it will say. These people with this spirit will tell you good is evil and evil is good. 
This spirit is everywhere in our culture. It's everywhere, from movies to communities, even church. It's even taught in our schools. Now, it's not called Parasite 101. It's called moral relativism. And here's, here's, the, here's a loose definition of that phrase. Nothing can decide what's right and wrong, and morality depends on the situation you're in or relative to where you find yourself. In, in other words, nobody decides what's right and wrong for you except you because you're in a different situation. That's error. Our culture is covered with it. And I could, get, I, could, I could push hot buttons and I could say words and things about marriages and sex and all of this stuff, but that's not, what, that's not my purpose. My purpose is not that. My purpose is to identify the spirit and how it operates in our land because, you see, a believer should know there are boundaries and there are standards, and we should know them, but we should respect them. Proverbs tells us to guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the boundaries of life. And this spirit will convince you, you don't have to have boundaries. You don't have to have boundaries because they don't do this and they're not doing that. And, you know, well, that didn't work out too bad for them. They did this all these years and they're living this way or they're living that way. And it's crossed all of these barriers and boundaries. And now if you have a boundary, if you have a barrier, now you're, you know, you're a fuddy-dud. Well, that's that spirit. So what do we need to do? We need to do what Moses did, what Israelites did. We need to take a stand. And, 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 and I'm talking about you personally. I'm talking about you in your own life. All believers must have walls. The, the word of God, the word says that the law is written on your heart. The basic need of boundaries is in us. We are born with this in us. Thomas Jefferson said all men are born with an innate sense of morality. In other words, it's already there before you can read the Bible, before you even understand it. You're just born with this. If you have fallen by this spirit, then you may have an unprotected spirit. If you have made covenant with this spirit, then you may have an unprotected spirit. Well, what, what does that mean, Pastor? Here's what it means. Proverbs 25, 28 says, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. In other words, here, here's what you have to have. It's called self-control. If you're a believer, you need to have self-control. If you're going to win, you're going to be a champion, you're going to get to your promises, you have to have self-control. The beginning of greatness is take responsibility for your actions. Don't point the finger. It's not the blame game. Don't blame everybody else. Take responsibility. Why? A controlled and well-disciplined spirit is more beneficial than a healthy body. An unprotected spirit can become a broken spirit, and that will cause energy to leak out of your body. Proverbs 18, 14 says, The spirit of man will sustain him in sickness, but who can bear a broken spirit? Self-control begins with our thoughts. You cannot control yourself without controlling your thoughts. You, we will never master self-control until we're in control of our thoughts. Uh, David even had to ask for this. I mean, and, and he writes Psalm 51 after the prophets come to him because of his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband. And so he spends days before the Lord. He writes the entire Psalm 51. But there's two pieces to it. In verse 10, he said to God, create in me a clean heart. And then he said this, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. What is that? That is a spirit of discipline and a spirit of self-control. I, I have to take responsibility. And David's saying, Lord, I need that spirit back in me to take responsibility for my actions and all the things that I do and why I've done those. Now, 
That is the parasite spirit. Now just take that and kind of put it on the shelf a minute because now I'm going to flip over and go to the next giant. The next tribe is called the Hivites. And, and, and I'll show, I'm going to read you a story out of the scripture and you're going to see them in action and, you, and I'll show you in the end how they're connected to, to the parasites, okay? So in Joshua 9, verse 3, and, and remember last weekend we talked about how uh, Joshua led the people in. They took Jericho. They stumbled at Ai, then they came back, and then they got Ai and defeated Ai. And you, if you missed that, you can go back and pick it up. So these people have heard this story. This is where it starts out in verse 3. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai. Talked about it last week. Here's what those people did. Verse 4. They worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. They took old sacks on their donkeys and old wineskins torn and mended. Verse 5. Old and patched sandals on their feet and old garments on themselves. And all, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. In verse 6, here's what they did. They, they went to Joshua, to the camp of Gilgal. And they said to Joshua and the men of Israel, Hey, we've come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. And then the men of Israel said to the, to the Hivites, but Perhaps you dwell among us, but so how, how can we make a covenant with you? And then they said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said, who are you? Where'd you come from? And they said to him, from a very far country, your servants have come. Because of the, watch this, because of the name of the Lord your God, for we have heard of his fame and all he did in Egypt and all he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan and to Sion, the king of Heshbon, and to Og, the king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. Therefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us saying, hey, take provisions with you for the journey. Go to meet them and say to them, we're your servants and now therefore make a covenant with us. And this bread of ours, we, we, we took it hot for our provision from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now look, it's dry and it's moldy. And these wineskins which we filled were new and see they're torn and these garments and our sandals have become old because of a very long journey. And then the men of Israel took some of the provisions but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So Joshua, watch verse 15, made peace with them and made a covenant with them. I think, I think we just read in Deuteronomy 7, not to make a covenant with them. He made a covenant with them to let them live. I'll show you why he did it. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them, verse 16, so he makes covenant with them. Three days later, watch what happened. At the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, then they heard that they were neighbors who dwelt near them. They just lived right across the valley. They lived on the other side of the mountain. Everything they said was a lie. Hivites are deceptive deceivers. Today, here's what we call them. Today we call them liars. We don't, we don't need a covenant with a liar. If, if they lie to you now, they won't stop lying when you make a covenant with them. You say, well, how does that pertain to me? Are you married? If you're married, you're in a covenant. If you lied before the marriage, before the covenant, you're probably going to lie in the covenant. If you're in a business partnership and, and you lied before it, you're probably going to lie or the other person going to lie in it. Friendships, on and on. God said, hey, have nothing to do with them. Utterly destroy them. We have no place for lying. They came in and said, hey, we're no threat. We're from a far country. They're deceivers. They're cheaters. Watch. They live without a cause because they have no boundaries and they stand for nothing. I'll show you in a minute why they have no boundaries. So the Hivites hear the story of God's victory about Israel and Ai and Jericho. And so they come up with this scheme. They come in and say, hey, we're servants. We've come with peace and, and look how far we've traveled. Feel sorry for us and look at all of this. Here's the problem. Without consulting the Lord, Joshua promised to be their ally. 
Three days later, they're deceived. He goes to their camp, but he couldn't destroy them. Why? Because he had taken an oath before the Lord, before all of this started, that any people group that they make a covenant with, they could not hurt. They had to be an ally. What's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. And if you need help, we'll help you and all of this. So they, the people had to live. And so what did Joshua do? They decided to enslave them. But I want you to notice how the Hivites got over on Joshua and the people. They flattered them. Oh, we've heard all about your God, and your God's our God, and we honor the same God. And Today we'd say, oh, I'm a Christian too. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian too. You know, yeah, let's do business together, and thank you, Jesus, and all this and, and all that. But you see, they're, they're, they didn't seek the counsel of the Lord. It, watch, watch what happened. Israel stood there knowing something was wrong. Look at all the questions. Look at how they went through the story. And they know something's wrong, but they make their decision based on an outward appearance. Scripture even asks us in 2 Corinthians 10, it says, hey, do you do things according to the outward appearance? The word Hivite means a village, a dweller in a village or a life giver. So how does that fit? Because if they come into a community or a village, they depend on the community for life. They're not going to work. They're deceivers. They're going to suck it dry. They're going to use everything, get everything they can. And even though community is important to the village, but it's not as good as it's God. And so here they are. They're playing games with their God, and they deceive these people, and they're just trying to take advantage of the goodness of God. Listen, let me make application. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. Okay? So here's the temptation, is to look to the world as our sustenance. It, the, the Hivite ideal is, the lie is, the world is my supplier. The world system is going to meet my need. Well, that's not what John said in 1 John 2, 15. He said, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And he goes on, for all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the, pride, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. God's plan for us, it starts with dependence on him. And too many have sold out to the lies of this powerful world system, and you believe it's your ally. Listen, the government is not your ally. The system is not your ally. All of these pieces that are out there, that is not your ally. And people who sell out to the lies of the world system often find that they spend their lives chasing the wind. They're going in circles, just like the people did in the wilderness. God, see, God knows the heart of a man. All Joshua or Caleb had to do was ask counsel from God, and he would have revealed, hey, they're, they're lying to you. They just live right over the corner. Here's what I'm saying. We have the, and, and they didn't use it this time. They messed up, but we all mess up. The, we, the greatest gift ever given to man is the ability to communicate with God. Here's why. Our God is alive and living. And he's going to communicate back from the word to the spirit. He's going he's to communicate from his Holy Spirit from the word back to He's going to communicate. All these other gods... They're dead. They're a statue. There's some prophet that everybody wants to ooh and ah about, and he's still in the ground. Our God is living and alive, and that's the difference in our God, is that we can communicate with him. He will talk to us. When we decide to make our decisions with guidance from the Holy Spirit, th then that's good. But when we decide not to, 
Here's what we're doing. We're endangering the lives of future generations. And even if we find our way back, there's no guarantee the next generation will do the same thing. You know the generation that was in the wilderness. I've told you this. They're not the ones that went into the promised land. Joshua and Caleb led their children's children into the promised land. Why? Because they believed a lie. So I'm, I'm still in introduction mode. I got three points to this message. They're short and sweet, but the introduction's top heavy, okay? So, so watch this. This message, this message, listen to me. This message is for those who have found truth but you're failing miserably at living in it. This message is also for those who are walking in bondage and limitations imposed by the enemy's lies, intimidation or deceit. This message is for Christians who find they are spending more time on the sidelines of life, the wilderness, than in the flow, the promises of God. And I've said this in this series already. I'm going to say it again. There are two reasons for these defeats. Here's the first one. Many believers are intimidated by the existence of the spiritual realm. They lack knowledge about how the spiritual realm operates. I believe many Christians are not even taught the biblical keys to successful spiritual warfare. Now, if you go to the first two messages in this series, it'll help you understand some things. But let, let me say it this way. God is supernatural and he transcends all the natural laws, the natural realm. So ignoring the realm of the supernatural will not make it disappear. He's still God. It's still there. Don't just turn it off. It's still there. Understand it. And here's the second reason for defeat. Many believers have bought into the lies of the deceptive enemy. What do you mean, pastor? Here's what I mean. Many believe, believers, they believe they cannot be more than they are right now. And so they accept a victim mentality or they reject an overcoming mentality. The truth is, when you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and you receive the Holy Spirit, you obtain the ability to become an aggressive overcomer. Victory doesn't come automatically. It doesn't, it doesn't come off. You must rise above the circumstance. You must stand for truth. You must outmaneuver and conquer and resist any covenant with the enemy. And let's talk about the enemy. The enemy, he is a liar. And he has come to kill, steal, and destroy anyone that looks like Jesus. That's, that's what he's doing. And so, and, and, and let me show you, there are two ways he has access into your life. When you say, I'm a believer, he has two ways he has access into your life. One is intrusion and one is an open door. Intrusion is very rare. It, 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 it's, it's dealing with different circumstances, a whole nother sermon. But the other way, open doors, is very common. And it gives him legal access to bully to intimidate and, and, and to, to manipulate us into believing a lie. Even if you know Jesus is Savior, most of us still have open doors. And we've allowed this door open so long that strongholds are there and they operate in, their li in our lives and they need to be broken. Well, how do we break it? Break it. Well, you have to start by first listening to truth and not the lies. So let, uh, let me just show you how he operates, okay? We, we, we give him so much fanfare of the devil. You know, let, he's a drill. So let, let's just get it straight. Before Satan can get you to sin, he has to get you to believe a lie. I go all the way back to Genesis. We're Adam and Eve, okay, and the serpent and Eve. Genesis 3, 4, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Here's the devil's first lie we have record of. I'm sure he's told others, but this is the first one we have record of. And this is for sure, this is Eve's first lie to hear. She's never heard a lie before. 
She's been talking to Adam and to God and probably some of the animals, but I don't think they talk back. So here, this is the first lie. The devil knows the only way to get a person to sin is to get them to believe a lie. So if she'll believe the lie, then she'll sin. That's how he gets access into our lives. So note that his lies always contain a little truth. God knows the day you do this, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God. If you read on in Genesis 3, they did eat the fruit. Their eyes were open. But when their eyes were open, they weren't like God. In fact, they were like God before they ate the fruit. After they ate the fruit, now they're like the devil. He's the father of lies. And you have to be very careful. He, came to, he had enough boldness to come to Jesus. I used to think when he came to Jesus in the wilderness and he said, if you are the son of God, I'm thinking, it, you know, what, what's wrong with him? You have a memory lapse, doesn't he know that? No, here's, here's what he's doing. He knows the only way to get someone, a human being, to sin is to get them to believe a lie. So he's even trying to get Jesus to believe a lie. So we have to understand this because Genesis says that sin lies at the door. Satan's the author of sin. Don't open the door or Satan comes into our lives. Are y'all with me? Now, here's, here's the bulk of this message, three points, okay? And I know, I know how much time I have, but I think I'm just going to roll over to about 4 or 5 o'clock this afternoon. So if you're hungry, just, just hang on. I want to show you, because he has access to our lives through intrusion and open doors. Mostly it's open doors. I want to show you three ways we open the door. We open the door. Here's the first one. Sins that we continue. The sin that we continue. Any sin that you continue in, or you could call it habitual sins, keep the door open. Now listen, I don't believe and I don't think that every time we sin or make a mistake, we open the door to Satan. I do not believe that. I do think that we open the door to Satan when there is a pattern, a habit of sin that continues and continues. John tells us we're either practicing lawlessness or we're practicing righteousness. If you're practicing lawlessness, you're giving the devil the advantage by the door we're open. So if there are habitual sins, we want to help you. As a pastoral staff, we want to help you. We want to help you experience freedom. We have a ministry here called Freedom Ministry. The classes start again. They run three or four times a year. They start again next Monday in the evening. On Mondays, there are five classes. It's a Freedom Ministries class. I encourage you to do it. Here's why. Our lives are like onions, and, and, and we have seasons. And as seasons, it peels back another layer. And a lot of times, just because we come to Christ, we think this is handled, this is done, this is over with, and, and it begins to crop back again. So I'm asking you, if you have bondages, if you have things that are habitual and lies in your mind that keep bothering you, let us help you. Every person ha who has ever lived except Jesus needs deliverance from bondages. Here's why. Because in your lifetime, every person has had spirits come against them in areas of your life. You may not know it, but you've had a spirit of disobedience come against you. Or you've had a spirit of unforgiveness come against you. Or you've had a spirit of, or, 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 or you've had emotional trauma and that spirit comes and takes advantage of your vulnerability. Or you make inner vows. So many men make inner vows. Well, I'll never do this and, and I won't do that. And you make all these strong vows. That's a, that, that's a spirit that's doing that. Judgments and curses. So the way we open the door, number one, sins we continue in. And we keep opening the door. I had one lady, uh, she, or her husband told me going out the last service that my wife identified five doors that I had. And I said, no, it's more like the revolving door you see in the big hotels. It's just, you know, <laughs> you got more than that. No, just kidding. Just trying to lighten you up a little bit. Okay, number two, the way we open the door, the words we speak. 
Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Some have taken this truth to the extreme that we were created by a creative God so we can speak and create things into existence. Listen to me. We do not have that kind of creative power with our words. But let me tell you the power we do have with our words. We can agree with the creator's words, which brings life. We can agree with what his words are. Or if we don't agree with his words, we can agree with the destroyer's words, which brings death. So it's very important what you say because it opens a door for God to come in or for Satan to come in. The word we speak opens the doors. Proverbs 6 and 2 says you're snared by the words of your mouth. The word snare is a trap. In other words, you're, you're in bondage. If you have spoken something, you're bound by what you've spoken. Pastor, you mean the words that I've said about me or something I've said that, that, I, that can bind me? Yes. Can they be broken? Yes. You can say words that bind you, but you can have someone who has spiritual authority break the words off your life. A pastor, elders, mature believers, disciples, godly parents. Listen to me, parents. Godly parents can break the words off in the name of Jesus. You can break words off of your kids. And you think, well, I, how, how does that work? Well, it's amazing how many curses are spoken over us or we speak over each other. I'll never forget, we, we hadn't been married but a couple of years. We didn't have children. And, and I had an aunt who said, well, when you have your first one, it's an innocent and beautiful little baby, and you're going to love it. When it comes to a teenager, it'll break your heart. I told my wife, I said, I'm, I don't care if she is my flesh and blood. I'm not receiving that at all in Jesus' name. I broke that off right there. And there's no kid coming yet. You think about the curses spoken over you, what someone has said over you, someone's spoken over you. Or you think about how many curses your children speak over themselves. Well, Daddy, I, I, I just don't get math. I'm stupid. A godly parent can say, oh, no, no, wait, 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 wait. I rule over those words in Jesus' name. You're not stupid. The Bible says you have the mind of Christ. Is Christ stupid? Work with me. No. He's not stupid. So, no, you don't have a stupid mind. No. We have the power to break off. But if we don't break them, they, they will stand and will affect us because they're lies. And they, they have... And they have opened a door, and as long as I believe the lie, it affects my life. And eventually, I'm frustrated with this, or I'm defeated in this mentality, or I have a miserable mindset. So, how do we open doors? Sins that we continue in, words we speak, and number three, and I know this doesn't affect anybody here, because this is the advanced group, thoughts we think. Yeah. This, this scripture has come up four or five times in this series. Proverbs 23, 7, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Listen, if you think you're stupid, you, you will fail math. If you think you're accident prone, you're going to have accidents. If you think you will accomplish nothing, you will. If you think about fear, you'll be fearful. What you think in your heart comes to pass. Now, I'm going to show you a scripture. It's one you're all familiar with, John 8, 32. And I'm going to, at the end of this, I'm going to come back to the back of this, and I'm going to show you the other side of this, this scripture. I want to show you the front side of it first. And you shall know the truth. Notice the word know. I'll come back to that in a few minutes. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So here's my question. If truth, if truth sets you free, what does a lie do? Bind you. You're in bondage. Now, remember where this whole series started. It starts with 12 spies going into a land. Ten come out with a negative report. Two come out with a good report. The ten with the negative believe the lies. Were they in the promised land? Yes, but there were giants there. 
But the other two, what did they do? They remembered the truth. What was the truth? That the promises of God were that this is your land. Those people are there illegally. We're going to move them out and get rid of them. And so the, the, the ten believed the lies of the liar, and they had so much influence that the, the people went with the ten instead of the two. They had, to, they had to wait years before they could go in and take the land. Numbers 13, 33. Let me show you how powerful this is. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, who came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so, were, and so we were in their sight. Here's what they're saying. In our own eyes, we were like grasshoppers, and so we become grasshoppers in the enemy's eyes too. How did that happen? Satan knows the way you think about yourself. How does he know that? Because he doesn't know everything. He knows that because you say it. Why do you say it? Because you think it. He wants you to believe a lie about yourself. If you do, then he's got you because it keeps the door open in your life. But remember, in this story, there's always some truth in a lie from the enemy. Were there giants in the land? Sure there were giants in the land. Joshua, Caleb, they saw them. They recognized all these people groups that were not supposed to be there, and this is our land. And they recognized the well-fortified walls and the big cities and all of this. They recognized all that. But what did they do? They remembered the promises of God. There is always a kingdom truth. So watch. Here's what they remembered. They remembered God's promises, but they also remembered the other side of the kingdom truth is that God loves to kill giants. God is the giant killer. We're not the giant killer. He's the only one that can take them out. The lie is, oh, we're just grasshoppers. The truth is, God's going to kill the giants. That's our land. That's our promises. So these were men of God, soldiers. They didn't see themselves as strong, mighty men of God. They saw themselves as grasshoppers. How do you really see yourself? How do you see yourself? Because I, I can tell you, there are many men who do not see themselves as strong spiritual men and, and husbands and fathers and leaders. Why? Because of the words that were spoken over them as a child or as a teenager. And they, see, they, don't see, they see themselves as, as no way I could ever do that. No way I could do, do that. I, I could never be a spiritual leader in my house. And there are a lot of ladies, they don't see themselves as godly women. There are women who think, I could never be a Proverbs 31 woman. I, I, I could never be a good mother. Instead, like a little girl awakened by the lies in her mind. Where, where did she get the lies? Well, it came from someone that spoke negative words or abusive words or manipulative words to her. So here is the woman who inside is still a little girl waiting for somebody or something to change her thoughts. Satan will do everything he can to get you to believe a lie and not look for a truth. So if you make covenant with a liar, if you are intimidated, you make covenant with a liar, then he's got you where he wants you. I'll, I'll show you a way to know if you're listening to the liar. I'll, I'll show you if you believe a lie, if it doesn't shock you anymore. Another accident? Doesn't surprise me. Oh, I found out my husband has a heart condition. That didn't surprise me. His dad did too. Found out my wife has cancer. Yeah, it runs in her family. Listen to me. If you've been born again, you've been adopted into a new family. And what is normal for the world is abnormal for the kingdom of God. Amen. 
What lies about yourself do you believe? What lies about your marriage do you believe? What lies about your finances, your job, your health? What lies do you believe? Is there an open door? And you've believed the lies so much, and, and, and they've been there for years, and, and they become part of who you are and, and what you think. So, so here, here's the end of this, watch. The good news is the truth sets you free. That's what John 8, 32 says. But it says, know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The word know there is an intimate word. It has intimacy involved with it. So knowing the truth, listen to me, this is where so many believers get sideways with this. Knowing the truth is not a mental ascent of some theological doctrine that you have programmed here and you can spit it out here. That's not what it is. Knowing the truth is being intimate with truth. Who's truth? Jesus. The way you know truth is you are intimate with Jesus. You tell him what's in your heart. You have an ongoing conversation and you have, you have this dialogue and you know him. And when he speaks to you, he pulls at your heart. He tugs at your heart. When you look at something with the outward appearance, he's tugging, he's tapping. The flag goes up and all of a sudden you turn back to him and you seek his counsel. That's how you know truth. And so listen. When you know truth, it becomes part of your home. It becomes part of your makeup. It becomes part of who you are. It be when you know truth intimately, it becomes part of your belief system. It becomes part of your walls, your boundaries. It becomes part. And, and so why, why is that so important? Because then when the enemy comes with lies, it helps you respond and react to the lies. How? You're not going to believe the lies. You're not going to be bound by them. You're not going to be caught up in that. Why? Because you know the truth, and the truth is living in you. So when the enemy comes with the lies, well, everybody's living this way. Everybody, well, it's okay to live this style. It's okay to live this way. It's okay this. It's okay that all, every, all the boundaries. We, in America, listen to me. I haven't said this in any service. We live in an unwalled village. All the boundaries are down. Anything goes. Well, I'm telling you, that's not what the Scripture says. Well, that's old school. No, that's the word school. And the word doesn't change. And the word is living and the word is active. And you can choose to listen and believe and make a covenant with these lying spirits and live like the rest in an unwalled village. Or you can choose, as for me and my house, we're going to know truth. Because here's what the lie will tell you. The lie will say, you're, well, you're rejected. Truth says you're accepted. The lie will tell you you're, you're, you're in bondage. Truth says, no, I set you free. The, the lie will say you're not good enough. Truth says, wait, wait a minute, you're perfect in Christ. Truth, the lie will tell you you're defeated. Truth says you're victorious. The lie says you're afraid of Satan. Truth says I have authority over Satan. And listen, here's what the lie will tell you. The lie will say, well, you, you can't reach God. Truth says I have access to God 24-7. I don't need a building. I don't need a priest. I don't need a statue. All I need, I don't even have to open my mouth if I want to talk to him. I can muse in my spirit, man, and in my heart. And I can, muse, and I can talk to him in my spirit. And his spirit will talk to my spirit. Why is this so important? Because this spirit is so powerful in the land we live. And we're just, see, we have a future generation coming along. We have a, you, you have children. You have teenagers. 
And right now, it's like the unwalled village, and there's no standards, and everything goes. And if you try to have a standard, it's like, well, you're this and you're that. No, stand for truth, but do it in love. Do it in love and mercy. Don't do it with some obnoxious 14-foot sign standing out on the street corner. I'm sorry, I just exaggerated. No, no. But you can't, watch, you can't sit. When, when Moses took the guys in and said, hey, you're going to fight, you're going to stand. Don't, don't pay attention to how big that giant is. You cannot make a statement about God and his truth and his love unless you know truth. If you try to, you're just a noisy sound. But when you know truth and you speak it, it has life. And people listen. And they look. And they wonder. And they question. Why? Because you know truth. And here's how I want to apply it to you today. If you've listened to this message, you've listened to the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit, what's the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Have you believed lies about what the enemy's implanted? Have you been deceived? Do you, you feel like, well, I could never do this and never accomplish that and, and just pressed down and, and, and lied to and intimidated? And it's like the enemy's been a bully pushing his weight around. Then this message is for you. I want you to respond. I'm, I'm going to ask you to do this. Don't, don't even close your eyes. I just want you to do this. Mobile, you do it with us. But if this message is speaking to you and you realize the Holy Spirit's identified some lies and some things that's that, that there, like, hey, man, I want to get rid of this stuff. I don't, hold your hand up. Be honest. All over the room. Mobile, too. All over. People are lifting their hands. I, I want to lead you in this prayer. In fact, I, I want all of you just to pray this prayer because some of you didn't lift your hands. You, you may realize this afternoon that you, you missed one, but just in case, we're going to cover it all, okay? <laughs> it won't hurt you to pray this prayer, okay? That's what I'm saying. So, so now you can bow your heads. Now you can close your eyes. I don't want you to pray this prayer. I'm, I'm going to lead you in this prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me and for dying for me. And I know that you are the ultimate giant killer. And I thank you that you have revealed truth to me today. And through my knowledge of you and my relationship with you, I ask you to tear down the lies and help me take responsibility to impart truth, your truth, so that my house, my marriage, my children, my children's children, will know the truth and know that the truth is the only thing that will set them free. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. God bless you.